You're listening to another sermon podcast presented by Chelsea Presbyterian Church. Located in Chelsea, Alabama, we value community, fellowship, and love for people from all walks of life. For more information, find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook. For those that, that are believers in Christ, this is, this is a big deal. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be looking at a passage. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John uh, chapter 11. We'll be looking at 28 through 44. If you do not have your Bibles, no worry. It's printed, as always, for your convenience in the order of worship. Last week, we looked at the first part of this sermon as Jesus proclaimed that He was the resurrection and the life. Not just talking about the idea that he was going to be resurrected. Not just the idea that we will have life. But he said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we talk about it wasn't just about the future and giving power and life after death. A lot of Christians talk about that a lot. Here's the thing that they don't talk about here. We're going to talk about today. What does that mean for us right now in the present? And so here we are on Easter Sunday. Celebrating the resurrection of Jesus after he died by way of an execution on the cross. So let's jump right into our passage today. And maybe you'll see some things about Jesus that you never thought of before. You might even see some things that maybe you've never thought about yourself before. Uh, and so let's talk about this today. Uh, John 11, 28-44. When she, talking about Martha that we talked about last week, had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews were in her house consoling her, they saw Mary rise and quickly go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping. And the Jews who had come uh, also with her weeping. And he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how much he loved him? But some of them said, couldn't he, the person that opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Mary, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted his eyes. And he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always heard me. But I'm saying this on account of the people standing around, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said, Unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, uh, give us a better understanding, a bigger understanding 
of what it means to experience resurrection in the life, not just future hope in some vague way, but in real time, in real life, at the present, what it means that you are the resurrection and that you are the life. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we're talking about uh, resurrection, those kinds of things, we know this, death is inevitable. I mean, it's a, such a certain thing. It's not a matter of if we're going to die. It's a matter of when. So the question that I start with today is like, does, does death scare you? Are you in a place in your life that you can look death in the face with no fear? With actually, more than that, with hope. And, and, and Christianity is one of the few places that ask you to grapple with both of those, death and life. Or could you handle the death of someone very, very close to you. Could you deal with that? As a pastor, I'm usually informed of big occasions in people's lives. I don't usually get calls from people that say something along the lines of, hey, pastor, I just wanted to check in. Everything's going well. Going well with you? Okay. Hang up. I don't get those calls. Right? There's nothing to report. I don't get those calls. And more than that, there are big calls that I get um, as a pastor. A crisis a problem, or worse than that, a death of a family member or a friend. And sometimes I have the honor of officiating those funerals. And recently, uh, being a part of funerals in the past, I don't always know the right thing to say. And you know what I mean, even as people that have not officiated but attended funerals, we don't always know what to say to people during that time. Um, I came across this article by a Kentucky pastor named uh, Ben, uh, Brian Cross, sorry. And he said something like this. The most helpful advice he said that he had ever got in preaching a funeral is don't try to preach people into heaven. Don't try to preach them out of hell. Just preach the good news for the people that are there. But most importantly, acknowledge the emotions in the room and most of all, the need to grieve. And we are people that are terrible about grieving in a healthy way. But what if I as a pastor could go and preach a funeral where I knew that all the things as bad as they were at that moment would not remain the same a few days later. Uh, and then after that, the funeral, I knew that all the, all the brokenness and all the sadness was going to all come untrue and that tears would actually be turned in joy. Now, even more, rather than someone like me, what if Jesus presided over a funeral? You ever think about that? Now, we really don't know there's no record in the Bible of him presiding over a funeral. But what would happen if the Savior of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God, showed up right after his best friend died? This is what we're looking at today. How would he act? Would he preach to people? What would he say? And what does this have to do with Easter? We're about to see all of that with three points today, and those three points are in your order of worship. We're going to talk about the grieving. We're going to talk about the doubt. And then we're going to talk about the resurrection. So let's look at number one, the grieving here. Um, and let's start with 28 and we'll go to 36. When, and when she had said this, Martha, she went, she called Mary saying in private, the teacher's here calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose up and quickly went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were in the house consoling her saw Mary rise up, rise quickly and go out, and they followed her, supposing that she was going to the grave to weep there. 
Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had also come with her weeping, and he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then it says, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how much he loved him. Now, the more I think about this passage, kind of the stranger it becomes, because Jesus is visiting with the family of his best friend that just died. And he knew what had happened. Not only that, he knows how the story ends. He knew what was about to happen. He had the power to change all of this. So why is he crying? He knew that he was going to turn all this grieving and joy unimaginable. All the tears were about to go away. Jesus knew it already. Yet he grieved when he saw his friends grieving. Now let me step back for a moment. I'm about to say something that might make some people in the room temporarily not like me. And it's not as spiritual as it sounds. You ready? I'm not really a dog lover. I used to think I was, but in my household I'm known as the dog Nazi. Meaning I don't treat dogs like human, I treat dogs like dogs. Um, Meaning I make them mine. I don't tolerate them really in the house. I don't like that. Now, I know half the church probably hates me right now. But give me a moment. Don't get me wrong. I am not a dog abuser. I just make dogs obey. And for some reason, and my neighbor Rick over here can testify to this, dogs tend to love me. I don't know why. But here's something that surprised me on two different occasions over the last years. How much I grieved over the death of a couple of dogs that we lost. For me, it was different than just losing dogs. See, both of those dogs that I had lost were my daughter's best friends. One was Annabelle, beautiful Airedale Terrier that she got um, when she was, was born. They grew up together. The second was Shorty. Um, he was a little one-eyed shizu. I like to mispronounce that every once in a while when I reference to him. All that to say, I had never cried so hard and I'm talking about like a baby when both those dogs passed away. And it wasn't even that I was thinking about the dogs so much or my loss. I was thinking about the pain and grief that my daughter was going through. The death of two of her best companions. And it broke my heart for her. Jesus is experiencing something similar to this, but totally different. We're not talking canines here. We're talking about human beings. And Jesus was crying hard. Why? Here's why. Because he loved Lazarus. Because he loved his friends that were heartbroken. Because he loves life. And he hates death. Because he was life. He empathized with them. And he cried over a loss of a friend. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus was. New York pastor Tim Keller uh, in a sermon after 9-11 was preaching on this very passage. Uh, Chris reminded me of this uh, last week. But he says this, The best people that he knew at empathizing and grieving with others, meaning grieving and being honest with your emotions, unlike the people around you, the best people are those that can empathize the most with grieving and pain. Jesus was a master at this. He perfectly represented the heart of God. If you have a version of God, the Father, in your mind that doesn't match, what you see with Jesus, 
weeping and empathizing with humanity, then you have the wrong view of God. Because he, he's meeting people where they are. He's there. He's Jesus Christ. He had the right to speak into their lives. Instead, what did he do? He loved them. He listened to them. He felt their pain. He grieved with them instead of trying to fix people. There's nothing wrong with tears and grieving, especially for others. It's just the opposite. There's something so right about it. And there's something good and healthy about it. The healthiest people I know don't play down or hide their emotions or their pain. They embrace it. And we all need to learn from what Jesus talked about there. This is part of who Jesus was. And it has a lot to do with what we're going to continue talking about today. Let's look at point two, the doubt. Look at verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also kept this man from dying? So, think about this. Here you have Jesus weeping over the death of Lazarus, his best friend. And people around him take notice. But see what the religious folks do? Some of them, rightly so, said, listen, this grieving is proof of his love for Lazarus. But other people are just trying to point out what Jesus didn't do right. They're doubters. They're saying, okay, if Jesus really is who he says he is, if he can truly heal, why didn't he heal his best friend? Wow, this one must have had to hurt. I mean, Jesus is grieving so hard. The original language of Jesus wept means wailing, not just a few small, few small tears. He is crying big tears and crying out. And the people around him are saying, wait, this guy's a healer. We've seen this. We've heard about it. He's given sight to the blind, and he has uh, brought people that were crippled, given them the ability to walk. Couldn't he help his best friend from dying? And Jesus was human. He was very human, along with being a deity. And he felt these accusations in the same way that we would. Now before you think these people are harsh that are making these accusations at Jesus one of his most vulnerable times, realize that you and I would probably be doing the same thing or thinking the same thing about Jesus. Matter of fact, we have thought the same thing about Jesus. Here's what I mean. How many times have you looked at the life of Jesus but also thought where was, I see all these great things he did, where was he when I needed him the most? Why didn't he heal me and the people around me when I cried out? Jesus, I see what you do, I've seen what you've done in the Bible, and I know I'm supposed to believe, but now I'm confused. If you have experienced those things in your life, then congratulations, you're human, and Jesus was human too. But here's the game changer. You think you are misunderstood in life? You don't even know what misunderstanding means. Jesus was a reject from day one, misunderstood his whole life. And his days on earth ended with him being rejected and killed by the very people he poured his heart out into, the very people that he loved. He was the Son of God, sent from heaven, only trying to help and heal everyone around him, only to be met with doubt, accused of things that he didn't do. And now, in this one of his most vulnerable moments, Grieving over his best friend, people are making fun of him, they're ridiculing him, and they're being a little sarcastic. Dang. This is a call today to rearrange our thinking. Jesus' mission, while he certainly has concern and desires for people to be made whole, the whole purpose of Christ's coming is not just healing, not just uh, raising people from the dead. The purpose of Jesus' coming was uh, not to primarily just restore 
men and women to help. This is a part of it. He, but he comes into the world first and foremost to reveal his glory and the glory of God because that's what we need more than anything else we can ask for God. He, he came to be more than just a fixer. He came to give you answers that you haven't even thought of yet. And the only thing is that he's asking of you. And when you can't see it and you're confused, like these people were, just to trust him. In a world where everybody has let you down, Jesus said, just trust me. Maybe you're here today doubting Jesus. Maybe you're doubting who he actually was. Or maybe you're on the fence. You've seen some things that, in, in what the role that Jesus played in other people's lives, and you've seen some things in the Bible, but you're really doubting if this actually applies to you. You're doubting that he can actually do other things in your life that he did in other people's lives. Doubting that Jesus and his life really even applies to you at all. And that's okay. I and everyone else in this room are doing the same thing in our life. And if we don't are not honest about that, uh, we're never going to get to the place of deep healing in the way that God wants us to heal. Which brings us to the third point that we have, the resurrection. Verse 38 says, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave. A stone lay against it. And Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus said, Did I not tell you? If you believe, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven. And said, Father, I thank you that you had heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around me, that they might believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out, hands and feet bound in linen strips, face wrapped in a cloth, and Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. Look at this. Even walking over to the tomb where he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead, he is still grieving. He is deeply moved as he walks over to his best friend's grave, and then he's staring death in the face. Even at the opening of the tomb, no one knows he's planning on raising Lazarus. We know that because we know the end of the story. Nobody knew that. Even at that point, they have no idea what they're going to do. They have no idea he's going to raise Lazarus. The people are even reluctant to open the tomb when Jesus says so. Because they're saying, this is not going to be a pretty sight. But look at his prayer. Jesus is not raising Lazarus merely to comfort the man's family, but also to prove that he's been sent by God, the Father, with authority over life. And so Jesus commands Lazarus to come out of the grave. And Lazarus, though he is completely dead, he walks out like it's nothing. Like nothing even happened. Just as God spoke life into existence in the beginning of the world at creation, God speaks, life comes forth. The same thing happens here with Lazarus and Jesus as he speaks and restores Lazarus' life. Just like he's still speaking into people's souls today, like you and like me, he speaks. And when he speaks, life is given. So here's the concluding thought today. Maybe if not Jesus saying, Lazarus, come out of the tomb, maybe he's saying, my name and your name come out of the tomb. What do I mean by that? 
It's one thing to believe in life after death and to have hope in that. And Jesus has been talking to them about that during this Lazarus story. But I want to ask you a different uh, question today. Do you feel dead inside? Do you feel a bondage in your life that zaps your life and you feel like it feels like death to you? Maybe constant disappointment. People breaking your heart. Maybe addictions that you have in your life of some sort. Just despair, loneliness. It's like sometimes you don't want to live anymore, or at least not live like this. Do you feel like you're just going through the motions, but not really living? There is life after death, and Jesus is the resurrection of life, and it applies to that as much as it applies to in the future. See, when Jesus stared, and I'll conclude with this, when Jesus stared death in the face in the tomb of Lazarus, it wasn't going to be the last time it happened. Soon after, Jesus is going to face his own death sentence. He's going to be executed on the cross in an excruciating way. And his tears on the cross are just as real as when he cried for Lazarus. But the same way that he wasn't crying for himself with Lazarus, he wasn't crying for himself on the cross, but for you and me and everybody in this room. And he experienced also the same deep hope that he had when he was grieving. The Bible says grieve, but don't grieve like people without hope. Jesus never grieved as a person without hope. He saw the end of the story there. And so when we see that this time, in the midst of this death, the death of Jesus, this time Jesus wasn't yelling, Lazarus, it's time to come back. This time it was the Father crying out to Jesus to say, well done, you finished your work. Calling to Jesus on the cross and saying, it's time to come out, it's time to come home. A call back home, both in future, but also right now. A call, and it's a call to all of us this morning, and I'll end with this. A call from death to life, despair to hope. A call from life of bondage to life of freedom, of faith and love. A call to live, really live. A life of flourishing and thriving, no matter who you are and what you have done, and no matter the circumstance. This is what we mean when we're talking about the hope of the resurrection. It's not just for the future, but it's for now. Jesus is calling us all out of that tomb. Would you answer that call today? Would you contemplate that as we meet at the communion table today with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and experience Jesus as the resurrection and the life? Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you're not calling us to fall in love with words. You're not calling us to fall in love with rules. You're not calling us to fall in love with religion. But you're calling us to have a relationship with you who's the truth and the resurrection and the life. Uh, Lord, it's not a sterile thing. It's a life-giving thing. You came uh, so that we can have life and have it abundantly. And we thank you for that. It doesn't mean that life is not going to be hard. It doesn't mean there's not grieving. But you are a God that takes all these things that life has unraveled and work a beautiful tapestry out of those. Help us to remember that. Help us as we go out today to step out in faith, hope, and love. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's sermon. We want to remind our listeners that our doors are always open at Chelsea Presbyterian Church, and we invite all our listeners to join us for worship. You can visit us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at Chelsea Middle School. 
To hear more of our sermons from our church or for more information, you can find us online at www.chelseaprez.org or check us out on Facebook.